Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 470. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. Read our stories at slowflowersjournal.com. Our first sponsor thanks goes to Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds supplied to farms, large and small, and even to backyard cutting gardens like mine. Find the full catalog of flower seeds and bulbs at johnnysseeds.com. In early 2019, I reconnected with today's guest, Kim Gruder of Salty Acres Farm. We met at a Washington Flowers Project florist gathering, and she introduced me to her daughter, Tonnelly Gruder. Kim reminded me that we had a few email exchanges back in 2014 when I first launched Slow Flowers, and it was great to reconnect. Together with their spouses, Kim and Tonley own Salty Acres Farm in the town of Coopville, Washington, on Whidbey Island. Kim's husband and Tonley's father, Paul Gruder, and Tonley's husband, John Lohman, are definitely part of the diverse family-owned farm. And little guy Savi is the youngest human living on the farm, along with lots of animals. We had a great conversation about what they were both doing, and I learned it was not just flowers. Kim told me about the salt of Salty Acres, which is one of their signature agricultural products, along with edible flowers, and you'll hear more about it in the conversation that follows. Tonley, who calls herself a millennial, fascinated me with her story of working in sales, marketing, and branding in the tech industry, a fabulous skill set that she brings to Salty Acres as well. A few months after that meeting in 2019, Travis Rigby of Florist Review asked me if I had any suggestions for a new digital marketing position he had created. Did I know anyone who might be a good fit for the job? For some amazing reason, Tonley popped into my mind, and I introduced the two of them. So for the past year, Tonley has collaborated with Florist Review on all sorts of projects, including the magazine's social media, which you can't miss if you follow them on Instagram. Tonley's enthusiasm has spilled over into the floral community, and to many, she's the face of Florist Review, thanks to her many Instagram stories. And if you go to events, you'll see her there too. When I knew I was going to have a minication getaway on Whidbey Island in late August, I invited myself to Salty Acres Farm for a visit. The farm is located on historic Penn Cove, outside the, his- outside the town of Coopville, Washington. Here's a bit more of their story from the About page on Salty Acres website. Originally brought to the island by the Navy, Tonley and John 
thought their farming roots were somewhere in the past when the opportunity of a lifetime appeared, a new start at a historic farm on Penn Cove. It didn't take long before the magic of the place got to them, and their thoughts of Whidbey as just another Navy posting quickly faded. Around this same time, Kim and Paul were facing another story all too common for farmers. Rising property costs and rapid urbanization were forcing farmers, themselves included, away from Oregon's Willamette Valley, where they had farmed for generations. Seeing this shift, Tonley and John urged her parents to visit Whidbey Island. Imagine a place where you can farm and the community supports you, Tonley urged her parents. For Paul, who learned to farm from his father, who had immigrated to Oregon's Savi Island to work on the land, moving roots wasn't easy. Upon arriving on Penn Cove, it only took a single sunrise over the water to convince them, though, this was home and a new agricultural collective calling for the whole family's involvement. Today, Salty Acres specializes in locally grown flowers, small batch sea salt, foraged ocean greens, and specialty produce. From June to October, customers can shop at the permanent farm stand at the end of the driveway at Salty Acres, which is on Penn Cove Road. And they also have their flowers at pop-up sales around the Coopville area and at their community greenhouse on the historic Greenbake Farm campus. With COVID this year, the women have had to adapt some of their offerings. They've tapered off on-farm events and workshops, and they've put on hold their regular stall at the Coopville Farmer's Market. But the requests continue, and they are currently reimagining what 2021 may look like. Keep an eye out for announcements by following Salty Acres on social media. I'll have links in today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com for you to find and follow, and lots of photos for you to enjoy in today's show notes. Let's jump right in and get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. And to, today, I'm so delighted to welcome the mother-daughter team of Kim Gruder and Tonley Gruder of Salty Acres Farm. Hi, ladies. Hi, I'm Kim. And I'm Tonley. We're so excited to be here. Thank you, Deborah. You bet. You bet. And um, true confessions, uh, I did get to interview Kim and Tonley in person two weeks ago on Whidbey Island at their amazing farm, Salty Acres Farm. And Whidbey is an island north of Seattle. And um, I had a bit of a, a recorder fail. And we in, I, I interviewed them for the whole 45 minutes. And then there was no audio file. <laughs> so we're doing a do-over. I might as well make it real, right? So It's okay. Yeah. It was great to come visit you. Um, Kim, you and I have a bit of a history because you reminded me that through your previous business, River Rock Farm, you joined Slow Flowers back in the very first year, 2014. So I feel like you've you've really watched how I've grown and also you've grown because you've changed states and you've changed farms. So give us a little snapshot of that journey and and uh, if you want, uh, otherwise tell us about Salty Acres Farm. <laughs> Well, I started, I've had several farms over the years, but having seven kids, you kind of just evolve and you move with what you have to, and they always took priority. So um, they were kind of my backup, but River Rock Farm, when I first started with you, it was a very small farm that I started because we, I had bought a house with my sisters with property to take care of my father. Mm -hmm. 
who um, has passed on now, but he just loved, loved the flowers. And it kind of, I said, I would never do it again, but I fell into it when Tonley was going to get married and we were coming out of, you know, financially hard times in our area and what I could afford in flowers was dahlias. So I shoved a dahlia book in front of her and said, pick a color, pick the colors. Wow. You mean you were, you were going to just grow her wedding flowers? Yes. The farming bug bit you again and uh, you kind of, it, by it necessity. Bit hard. Yeah. It bit hard. So and how, how many so dollies fun. did you plant when she, when you're plant, planting her wedding? 60 for the wedding and 60 turned into 400 and 400 turned into over an acre. Um, Cause when you get one, then you need another one and then you need another color and then you divide them and it just goes on and on. And then you need other flowers to go with them. And so then you plant that and you just fall in love with it. And then I started doing weddings and that was really fun. Which with River Rock, really her niche that we built out for that business was, it wasn't um, a wholesale florist exactly. And it wasn't exactly a farm florist. It was more like brides would come to us and ask for things to be custom grown. And then they'd kind of like get the tubers afterwards, a selection of for their cutting garden, you know, in their new married life, which oh, is really wow. Yeah. yeah, it was really fun because they would pick out certain tubers. We would make a really cute wooden sign. It would say their name. So they would come out, the bride and groom, and we'd plant the sign. We'd plant the flowers. We'd take pictures. Then we'd take pictures during the growing process. And then right before their wedding, they would come out when they were in full bloom. And we'd take great pictures. And then when everything was dug up at the end of the season, we'd send them one of each of the tubers that they had chosen. Uh, gosh, you know, nobody else is doing that. Or if they are, tell me about it. I think that's so... I mean, I don't think anybody's doing it and we haven't done it in a long time. Yeah. But maybe yeah. we should, um, cause there's such fun names like bride to be yeah. and, you know, bridezilla. And the names are tricky too. Fun, So fun tricky. Like we have a tradition of buying plants for special occasions, you know, as I think so many people do. And for instance, my son, when he was born or when I found out I was pregnant, I got a rose called night owl, which is this lovely climbing rose. And, um, to this day, I can't get him to bed before 11 PM. So <laughs> a complete night owl. it was prophetic, <laughs> prophetic flowers. So oh my gosh. Wow. Well, um, this was when you had river rock and we were doing the Dahlia kind of, it wasn't even, it doesn't sound like it was even a DIY bride. It was just custom growing for couples. Um, that was in the Portland area, right? That was right outside of Portland in a little town called Deer Island. Okay. Um, it was just a sweet place to be and doing things and being able to be close to my dad at the end of his life. Mm. So it, just, it all worked together and he loved all the flowers. So it made it more fun. And also, Kim, it seems like like a lot of us, passion driven, like there was no business plan per se when you first put those Dahlia tubers in the ground, but you evolved it into a business. Absolutely. Yeah, there was no business plan. We ended up with a bridal rental business of just vintage rentals, really fun, random things. Um, and, you know, the flowers and just, it was really in the beginning of uh, Florette mm-hmm. and so that kind of loose style where we would have grapes and tomatoes and all these fun things in arrangements. So brides were like, what? You can put all this stuff in a bouquet. And I'm like, yes, we can. Yeah. Because they weren't seeing it in the bridal magazines at all. No, they weren't. Everything was, you know, so structured and we were so unstructured. So fast forward to Salty Acres. Uh, How old is 
is the farm and just tell everybody where it is and uh, kind of what your scope is. We are on historic Penn Cove. It is absolutely a stunning setting, as Deborah could tell you. Um, we're right on the water. We have only been here five years, but the farm has been here, well, if you go way, way back from the beginning of Salish Indian time, but um, the, the owner, this farm, it was put here in the 20s. That's mm-hmm. what we were told. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Wow. And so agriculture is sort of part of the heritage, but you made it into a flower farm. Agriculture is a lot of the history of this island. It Mm -hmm. was an agricultural island. Mm -hmm. So yes, it um, flowers were just a natural response for us. Tony and I both gravitate towards them. We have Mm -hmm. her whole life loved going to anything we could flowers. Mm -hmm. So you, uh, the story you told me when I visited was that you, when you moved uh, from the Portland area out to up to Whidbey Island, uh, you had a big box of dahlia tubers with you, like you, like an old homesteader. You had your, you know, your seeds <laughs> that you brought along. Is that correct, or how did it, it go? Connolly had called me. We were just finishing up the other farm, and I, I don't know that I was ready to finish it up, but it was a co-owned property, and it had to happen. Mm-hmm. And um, I was getting rid of all my tubers and getting rid of everything and figuring out how I was going to move on and evolve. And Tali said, mom, I found this farm. You have to come up and see it. And I was just kind of like, what? And she said, no, you have to come here. You've got to come here. And her husband was getting ready to be deployed. And there was just so much going on. And I literally came with bulb crates. Anybody that farms or grows flowers knows what bulb crates are. Yep. I came with probably two or three bulb crates of just some random dahlias that we planted in a spot and took really cute uh, pictures of Tonali and John and they were just a hobby and she's yeah. the one Tonali you can probably say how you pushed it into being a business. <laughs> well, yeah, it so. seems like Tonali is she's got she's a force, right? She's talked you into a lot of things over the, over the years it seems like Kim. <laughs> oh, many 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 things. <laughs> so many things. I always, I always liken mom to like, everybody knows and loves Martha Stewart, you know, the great one. But um, if you took away Martha's Ridland, whatever it is that gives her that focus, you would have my mom. Okay. And she goes into everything 110% focus, um, just all over the place, like a real firework. And at a certain point, the farm was becoming a full-time job that was her hobby. And I said to myself, you know, if we're going to treat this like it's a full-time job, mom, Let's turn it into an actual business. Let's start out by maybe just selling a couple flowers at the end of our road stand um, here in our community on Whidbey Island. And something I would love to see spread just, you know, everywhere. I wish every neighborhood, even in cities, I wish that there was the ability to have this model. But we have a tradition of farm stands, which we call honor stands. Some regions have them, but some places it's virtually unheard of. And you'll drive through farms and you'll see they just have stands out where you can pay as you see fit for vegetables, flowers, eggs, all kinds of different things. Some people have more sophisticated setups with refrigerators even to keep the flowers cool. It's just, it's a really, really great thing. So it's like, let's make one of those cool stands we keep seeing around here on the island. And then next thing we knew, we had a Japanese mini fire truck and we're doing full-time markets. Yes, it evolves quickly. I yeah. saw the the cute stand that you mentioned. I took a few photos of that. Um, now, Kim, your husband built it, or how did you guys make that happen? It's- we were actually we had tried to get a, a fire. It's an old antique fire reel, and we were going to turn that into a cart. And the gal changed her mind at the last minute and wouldn't sell it to us. 
So our backup was my husband found this ad on Craigslist for this awful rusty in the bushes pony cart. And we're like, yeah, I think, I think we can do something with that. So we went and picked it up and I mean, it was a mess and we cleaned it up and put new wheels on it and he retrofit it and we, you know, put a box on it and turned it into our farm cart. And it was what we would load up in the van and take to farmer's market with the big Swiss bell on the back of it. And um, it was just really fun, but it got to be too awkward for me to move by myself. Yeah. It's big. And it's, it's big. And I mean, it's, I yeah. think it's probably fine if you're on ground level, but if you have it up in a flatbed truck and you're trying to tr- bring it down to ground level, I, I, I it'd take four people, I would think. We did it with two, <laughs> but we couldn't do it with one. And that was <laughs> where we got to a point and we said, this business is our side business still, as with many flower farms, you know, we have outside income. Um, but it's something that we're really devoted to and we want it to be female powered. We want it to be female friendly and setting up those big crates and big market setups. Anyone who's done it knows it's hard. Even just setting up a pop-up tent with one person is harder than it looks. It's like a full-blown task. So we found another listing on Craigslist for a um, retired Japanese fire truck that had racking on it. And we said to ourselves like, gee whiz, maybe this is our solution. We could keep the pony cart full-time as our honor stand and then um, have some fabrication done to this mini truck, which could become our mobile market where we could literally roll up our sides, no heavy lifting. It would be easier on mom as a senior farmer that you're not breaking yourself trying to do what you love. And when she said we, it meant she found something awesome. And she said, mom, come on, you're going with me, which I did. And I'm like, uh, why are, it was a rainy day, whatever. We're going to go to Seattle we pulled up to the dealership. He had it sitting out in front and I looked at her and said, we're buying a fire truck, aren't we? And she said, yup. <laughs> I've never seen anything like this before. It looks like something from an anime cartoon. It's like a petite VW bug or VW van, but it's like, in, it, it's a functioning, it was at one point in its past a functioning fire truck, right? Absolutely. So charming. I love it. Well, we'll share photos of that because it is unlike anything I've seen. And boy, talk about branding. People know it's you when they see it, right? There's no, because the flowers That's are- Tonley's marketing skills. Yeah. Tonley's marketing skills. So Tonley, what's your background? How, I know you've, you and I met through your mom at a floral event in Seattle. I don't know about, I guess sometime spring of 2019. And, um, you started telling me you were doing all this like event marketing and tech marketing. And I don't know, I don't know what it had to do with flowers, but I was, I was mesmerized by how you blend it all. What, what had you been doing when we met? Yeah. So I've been working in kind of a fusion between event marketing and corporate philanthropy for a long time. Um, and that had been really my career path and still is in a big way. Uh, um, but I just realized that, I don't know. I had this big passion for entrepreneurism. And I think so many millennials find that the door is closed to them or they just don't know how to get a foot in. And um, it was a way for me for the first time in my life, I think, to work on a project that I didn't have to worry about my non-compete clauses. I didn't have to worry about what a client wanted. I could put my passion into what I cared about and have cared about my entire life, which is flowers. Um, So when I met you, I was really living out of my suitcase, spending half of my week in Seattle, half of my week um, on the farm and being a farmer full-time when I'm there, being a mom, and then also doing a heavy amount of travel and freelance work. So uh, 
yeah, it's, it's crazy looking back on those times and the way that, um, you know, everything has changed in the last year since then, but in some ways, you know, for the better, even if it was with me kicking and screaming. (laughs) Well, ironically, at the time I met you, uh, and the three of us were together, uh, Travis Rigby of Florist Review Magazine has said to me, hey, I need somebody to help me with marketing. Do you know anybody? Like, of course, in my ulterior motive, I'm like, wouldn't it be great for a mainstream flower magazine to have a flower farmer do the marketing? So I, you know, ulterior motive for me, I introduced you and he, you know, you've been working with Florist Review ever since doing kind of a non-traditional marketing. It's not like ad sales per se, but just creating connections all around the, the globe really for their brand. And, and you're kind of the face that people see on, on the Instagram stories and, and at, at events now that, I mean, obviously you can't travel now, but that's what people had been seeing, right? Yeah, it's been the most amazing connection for me. Obviously, I fly the slow flowers flag, and that's what resonates with me personally. But it was a chance for me to um, really get connected with conventional flower growers as well and find where we can align as communities and how we can lift each other up. I think that um, I'd done a lot of social media management in the past, but I didn't understand how powerful an industry magazine could be until I worked with Florist Review. I have posted florists who you could tell not only did it make their day, like it made their year having this platform and feeling recognized. Mm. Like I've gotten personal messages that stand out to me in such a personal way, you know, where a florist would say to me, I started working with vegetables and I sent it to a mainstream floral magazine. They said, we don't think we want any cauliflower in our bouquets. No, thank you. Never. You know, people told me no, no, no all day. And then you posted this and I just feel like, I feel like I'm going to be okay. And like, I'm on the right path. And I'm just like, I had no idea that it was that powerful of a platform. And it's just amazing to be able to share flower farmers and florists and event planners and all the people who make our world spin because it really is a positive and inclusive community. I look at it and um, I've never found a friendlier professional community than I've found in my family and flowers. It's pretty smart in a way because given uh, Kim's background doing design for weddings and your marketing background, and now you're kind of in this role at, with Salty Acres where you're having to create interesting collaborations and um, balance you know, demands of wholesale clients plus retail clients plus growing. Like you have a bigger picture, I think, uh, about what the possibilities are. And then, of course, we throw into 2020 and COVID and all the challenges of just operating a business. Um, it, is it, if I had asked you to describe Salty Acres last year and then I just asked you to describe it this year, like how different is it? And um, it, will you go back? I mean, maybe we should talk about what all the facets of Salty Acres Farm is, are right now. And maybe yeah, yeah. what's new and I what talk about what our business plan was last year. And mom, if you want to talk about where you think we're going in the future, I think that's a great way sure. to uh, field it. I would say last year, if you had asked us, what are we doing? We would have said agritourism is, you know, our money maker. It is the thing that pays the bills. Um, but we were very, very devoted to exclusive chef collaborations. A huge part of our business is edible flowers. Um, which is something that requires a certain skill to use well. 
um, if you really want to highlight those flavor profiles on the scale that we were working in. So we were working with really top level chefs exclusively and also retailing our sea salts through that. And then for fun, we did farmer's market every weekend as a way to connect with our community and um, really just affirm our commitment to the idea that our island that we live on is a farming community, a working farming community. It's not a time capsule. It's not just for tourists. Without farms, it's nothing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And uh, so the edible flowers was part of your major product line. And then you mentioned the salt. And I don't know, maybe Kim can... Does Kim get credit for the salt business? Because salt, the salt of Salty Acres is... Oh my gosh, so phenomenal. I just, I've been enjoying the two varieties you sent me home with um, in different recipes and it's just, it's just hard to describe what it is. So maybe I'll let you do that, Kim. It's um, often when I'm bored, I'm not a good person to be bored. I am absolutely not a good person to sit still. I'm not a good person to take shopping. I'm not a good person for any of that. That's the Martha Stewart factor I was telling you about. It's <laughs> There. <laughs> I'm I'm looking at something and I'm dissecting it and figuring out how I can use it, how I can make it better, and what it can do. And and I in everything that we do here, it was so fun. We were growing so much and enjoying everything. And I kept looking at the water and thinking, you know, why can't we make our own sea salt? That we should do that for sure. And literally, so this, watched, this is across the street from like yeah, you're overlooking. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at the water. And it, um, I watched some YouTubes on it and I did a bunch of reading on it because I love research and I started making some salt. And so the kids, Tonally included, were laughing at me like, oh, it's so bad now. We have to, we can't even buy salt. We have to make our own <laughs> salt. And I said, yeah, yeah, no, we're going to make our own salt. <laughs> so we started doing that and started packaging it and it just blew up absolutely blew up. And so then of course I got my little jab in there, like, what do you think about it now? And so now they're all like, it's genius. Yeah. It was totally genius. So did the Salty Acres name kind of emerge from when you started that product line? Connolly's the one that did all of the branding. I didn't do any of it. Okay. You just, <laughs> you, you just kind of know when to, to step aside and let her blow through with that. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I did- and she, I was going to say, she knows when to step aside, Kim, and let you blow through with a vision for making salt. So you're very complimentary in your skill sets. Yeah, it's important to have different skills. I think a good farm probably looks a lot like a good trivia team, which is, you know, you don't want any two people who are the same. You want people with different interests, different skill sets. You know, my dad isn't sitting here with us right now, but um, his skills that he has for constant rototilling and lighting things on fire and drilling things is highly useful in an agricultural setting. That's great. <laughs> and it's still, we don't necessarily embrace on the level that he does. She hates the computer stuff and the handshaking with strangers. I love it. I live for it. Um, yeah. That's funny. Okay. So I got off track. So the Salty Acres branding you came up with after mom, you know, developed these salt blends. Yeah, yeah. So we had come up with a couple different name options. I think I had like four. I had kind of sat down to myself. Our cove is known for producing mussels. So I was like, okay, what about maybe like blue shell something? Mm. Okay, the area we live in is called Sandefuca. Maybe it should be Sandefuca Farms. You know, that's beautiful sounding. Uh, What about, you know, just something plain? We'd be Island Flower Farm. You know, it's good for my SEO because I'm a digital girl. I'm like, what's good for the search engine? And then I was like, what about salty acres. You're doing that weird salt thing, mom. 
So I put it out there to a vote on social media and we got this incredible response from our local farming group. And I'd say 90% of people said salty acres. Wow. We want salty acres. Wow. Yeah. And the cool thing was, I think we got maybe a hundred people as feedback on that. Nobody knew us. Nobody knew anything about us, but that was like our core customer base right off the bat with that, that people said, I had a stake in this. I helped name it. And um, we had instant customers from day one. It was incredible. Yeah. So with the the edible flowers and the salt blends, um, that was kind of had you pretty immersed in the culinary world, both to restaurants and also foodie types, right? Definitely. Because some of our best Instagram posts at that time were Tali would call me from work and say, you've got to cook something, mom, cook something with the flowers and then take a really good picture. And so that was, yeah, it was a constant, like trying to boost that and research how I could use them and what we could make from things off the farm and what would people love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's the part that we're really missing since COVID too. You know, we found other places to put our focus, but I really deeply miss those chef connections and I miss those new menu premieres and going and trying the pasta with the petals pressed in it and all those great moments. I can't wait for them to return and yeah. I really feel they will. Yeah. They'll come back. So, so you kind of described that the f- selling cut flowers really was just sort of the, f- the weekend at the farmer's market um, sort of space, you know, like what to do with the flowers at the end of the week instead of throwing them in the compost bin. I don't know what, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is that sort of um, a one way you were able to move flowers? There was nobody doing market bouquets. And so we really felt like we were doing market bouquets at our farm cart Mm -hmm. and the community really wanted market bouquets. So for us to be able to drive into farmer's market with the fire truck completely loaded with flowers, or when we had the pony cart, it was just so beautiful. And people literally would come running. We had the same people all the time. It was just a fun way to get to know our neighbors. I mean, for so many people and they're like, should I turn this insane hobby into a business? And I'm like, yeah, why would you hold back? It's a beautiful experience getting to meet other business owners, getting to meet your community members, getting to meet the people who are visiting your community for the first time ever. And, you know, just it ignites passion, I think. And this farmer's market, it's the Coopville farmer's market on Whidbey Island, right? Yes. Correct. Yeah. And Coopville is a bit of a, it's a historic tourism community. And so I can see where maybe people were, weren't locals who were co- even coming to the farmer's market, maybe just on vacation there. Oh, we met some amazing, we met one couple, remember, that came to farmer's market from California. And before we knew it, they were over here for dinner that night to a big farm to table <laughs> dinner. Yeah. They showed up with bread and wine and we had salmon and pork and all kinds of stuff from the farm. And it was just fun to meet those people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, like I said, I love talking to strangers and um, I think that's the most beautiful thing about being a flower farmer is that that language of flowers transcends everything. You know, we had people come up and buy marigold garlands and things who um, didn't speak English, but you know, it was well understood that they were excited to get their picture taken, walk away with those flowers and hang it on their mantle or whatever beautiful place it was going to go. It's just yeah, it's the best tingly feeling. Yeah. I miss sometimes. Yeah. Well, the theme that comes through in hearing from you both is community. And, um, you know, with social distancing and uh, the limitations that have been forced on us with COVID, what have you done this year? And um, how are you keeping your flowers in people's hands? Because I think you mentioned you're not doing the farmer's market this year. Is that correct? We have not done farmer's market this year. Um 
Tommy would like to. I just have not been comfortable with it at yeah. this point. So we yeah. really have to. I mean, people we, can come to your farm stand if they're locals and they know where it is because you post. And the farm stand has been off the charts. I okay. mean, the locals, the support we have gotten has just been crazy. And we take a lot of precaution. My parents are in the older age bracket. My mom has asthma. So we're definitely a family that I'd consider to be in the high risk bracket. So we have to take special considerations with that, which is hard for us, you know, because it's keeping us away from what we love. But we've adopted things like cashless payment, like Venmo, and it's been amazing what it's done. Yeah. So in other words, every every day you you trick out the the stand and maybe post something on Instagram, and then uh, you don't have to physically maintain it. People just can drive up and safely select what they want. Yeah, we don't, we don't physically, sometimes customers will have questions and if they, you know, call out to us, we stay our six feet, but we definitely will answer their questions and talk to people because people still do want to react. I'm sure, right. If you're out in the field and they can see you from the driveway, they're going to want to talk to you and find out more about what you're doing. They do. Thank you. With turkeys running around and they can see the pigs and the dogs. And oh my God, the amount of farm animals. <laughs> so you have turkeys, pigs, uh, chickens probably. Yes. And um, there were lots of rabbits and yeah. um, some domesticated pets. <laughs> so that's on top of the flowers. Definitely on top of the flowers. Um, when did you add that second location that is um, about, I don't know, would say maybe 10 miles away? Um, yeah, it's, it's about a 15-minute drive it's for us, so yeah. been two years now. We adopted it two winters ago. Um, so for those who don't know already, we actually choose to farm at two separate locations. And this is something that, if it's feasible, can be really great for anybody who's interested in sustainable growing. For us, we grow only using organic methods. We are not certified organic. But for us, that is something that's really, really important to our stewardship of the earth and the environment. Um, But it leaves you open to pests and to disease. So for us, let's say if we were worried about um, Dahlia Mosaic or something, if that hit us in a big way, we have two separate farming sites with two uniquely different climates and set of circumstances that kind of help us to hedge our bets a bit. Mm-hmm. So the likelihood of anything coming through our primary farm and also hitting our secondary farming site is very low. Um, and it kind of just opens us up to um, a little bit more of a safety net in our farming plan. It's, I thought of you uh, this week. I was interviewing another farmer for an article um, for Johnny Seeds, and she talked about the fact that a diversified variety mix is a insurance policy against crop failure. And I thought, yeah, but what Salty Acres is doing is another kind of insurance policy to have two locations. And it kind of, I hadn't really dawned on me until then, uh, because obviously there's a hassle. You have to schedule in that, that driving time and you have to transport the flowers, but it seems like the most amazing location that you're using. And can you describe it and, and this second location um, how you're using it and what the potential is there. Yeah. So again, that was, um, me kind of screwing on my marketing cap a little bit as well. In addition to practicality sake, um, there is a large historic farm owned by our local community. It's a community owned farm that's used mostly for events. It has some retail, um, and it's a big tourist destination. It's called the Green Bank Farm. 
And it's located about halfway up the island. It's a huge tourist destination, very beautiful, scenic, um, ex-dairy farm. And for about the last 10 years, we estimated, the land had laid fallow there while it had been converted into a tourist destination. It had all of this agricultural land that virtually no one was using with the exception of um, one amazing farmer, Lizetti Farms, who farms mostly legumes and um, a lot of food crops. She's a pretty cool guy. Um, Dorcas is her name. I feel like everybody should get into the flower game sometimes, even though it's my own uh, <laughs> my own category. I'm like, Dorcas, you need flowers too. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> so there, there was there was land that ha- that wasn't being leased or used or anything. That yeah, not doing- leased, not used, not anything, with the exception of this one lone farmer growing a heck ton of fava beans and kale. And then there was a small community garden, um, pea patch. Mm-hmm. So we reached out to our local port who runs the farm and he said, Hey, like how much would it cost? Or what's the deal on why this isn't being farmed? There was everything out there, guys. Close your eyes and picture rolling wheat fields, blue skies, water views, you know, um, just greenhouses. so beautiful. And these <laughs> greenhouses, empty greenhouses, the shells of them just sitting out there, the frames, it was like calling to us, you know, as we were visiting this giant dog park, we're like, what is that? Why aren't people using it? And mom reached out to the port after I kind of gave her that poke. Again. Uh Yes, I did. I walked into the office and asked what, you know, what happens? Can we, you know, lease something like that? Is that possible? And they were all about it. Hmm. So it came out to be, I was really kind of nervous because I don't know how much to lease agriculture cultural land. And so they got the contract back to us and we read it and we looked at it and we were shocked at how cheap it was. Mm. Like we couldn't not do it. Mm-hmm. We just could not do it. And to oh, have the, infa- oh. the infrastructure too is like, uh, oh, yeah. you, you didn't have to start from scratch. No, our greenhouse is completely finished. Um, it's a hoop house. It's a low hoop. Um, but it, it serves our purpose just great. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what about the water? Did they they have water, water out included. there? Mm-hmm. Water is included in wow. the lease. Jeez. Yeah. So, um, so roughly how many acres do you have? And just right now, it, it's not just dahlias, but it, there's maybe like three quarters of it is dahlias. Is that correct? We, right. Yeah, we have presently leased three acres because we need to secure more land for some future crops and things. But we're farming right now on a little bit less than an acre. Wow. You've got Um, a lot of room to grow then. Taking it into, you know, manageable strides. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. We're developing methods that work really well for us where our weeding is cut down to an absolute minimum. So it makes it more doable for older farmers Um, and working smarter, not harder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The dahlias just were luscious, but you had a lot of really in kind of unusual annuals and, uh, kind of food crops that could be ornamental, and I, I can that I can see that that's what you're always on the lookout for uh, to have we, other ingredients year, in your bouquets, right? And this year with COVID, at the end, we really went through our seed boxes and pulled out anything that we could that we thought we could fit in, dialed back some of the dahlias, and put in things like winter squash and things that we knew were going to be potentially needed this year. Mm. But um, we try to grow all of our own fillers. We forage for what we can, but we really, we don't, our goal is to not buy anything outside of our farm. Mm-hmm. So Kim, this year you're selling um, your, through your 
per, your farm stand at Salty Acres where you live. But then what are your other outlets? Because you you took a pause from the farmer's market. We did, but we picked up um, several locations of buying bouquets. One is a small market, just you can see it from our house. It's called Three Sisters Market, a family-owned business here on Whidbey, and they have been so supportive. Anything we can bring them, vegetables, flowers, anything, they'll, they'll take it, and they're wonderful. Which is comical, because it's literally two houses down from where yeah. we live and farm, but people would much rather buy the bouquets there, so we are happy with it. Yeah. It is <laughs> so kind of like a little country market, sort of, for with food? Okay. It yeah, is. think of it like a local purveyor mercantile, kind of. So yeah. they have local cheeses yeah, I- and milks and beef and pies. But- Kind of a little bit high end. I mean, they have beautiful, beautiful things. Like you wouldn't expect when you see this little thing to go in there and be able to walk out with a gourmet arrangement of products and wine yeah. and flowers mm. and Neat. the whole thing. Neat. Yeah. And then we've moved into a, a couple of shops in Coopville. Uh, Cove Coffee is now carrying flowers. Uh, go Marbly, the ribbon uh, of the place that makes the marbled ribbons. Um, they're fantastic. Um, we do a couple of restaurants, Callan's Restaurants and Freeland Restaurant or uh, Freeland Cafe. Um, and then we've got kind of a list of people that are waiting for more things, but we're trying to keep it manageable so that we don't do, we don't, I don't want to do something poorly. Yeah. As well as we also reach out to other farm stands. So we have a couple other farmers that we work with. Um, so that way people who, let's say an example would be a local chicken grower who does pasture raised chickens. That's not exactly a flashy thing people are going to pull over their car and come to your honor stand for. So we supply them with flowers so that way they have some color because flowers are what brings people in the door. I know everyone here listening already knows this, but flowers are what make people stop and say, wow, what is that place now? I really see it. Interesting. Oh, I thought you were saying that you were going to sell their pasture-raised chickens at your stand, but it's more that you're helping them market their product using local flowers. Yeah. Flowers are the flags, man. Mm. <laughs> well, uh, I want to back up just a little bit. Kim alluded to this company called Go Marbly, which is this really inventive, interesting business idea that I I briefly met the owners because they stopped by to drop off some um, fabric for you. But can you describe this local business in Coopville and where did you get the idea of partnering with them? I think this is such a great example of co-branding. They are this lovely couple that came to Coopville and bought a building there and brought in this business where you go in and you do this old-fashioned marbling, um, which is just spectacular. Um, It's using acrylic paints in in this base and you swirl the paint and do the things. Then you take this scarf and they lay it in there. And when they pull it back, all that you had in the water is on this fabric. And it is beautiful. Mm -hmm. But I kept looking for different specialty products through our own. You know, I want to find things for bouquets. I don't want just what everybody else has. Let's find something different. Let's find something a little edgy. So I kept saying, if we could do this marbled fabric, you know, and then rip that into ribbons, silk ribbons, that'd be gorgeous with the flowers, especially with the colors of dahlias. So we approached them on it and um, they were all in and did a couple samples for us. And they were just better than we thought they would be, honestly. Oh my gosh. I I have uh, had so much fun, you know, just looking at the two samples you gave me and I'll, I'll share photos, but um, in terms of decorating a bouquet and like you said, complimenting the v- vibrancy of dahlias or pastels, it, for that matter, I mean, it, you, the sky's the limit. You could give Go Marbly a palette and they 
they every, will follow the colors. Every piece is custom. You wow. will never get two pieces the same. Yeah. It's kind of like the marbling that you see, like if you're in Florence and those old bookmakers and they would have that paper on the, like inside the inside cover of a book that, Precisely. that vibe. Yeah. But this is so vibrant on fabric. I love it. And you're promoting a, you're cross promoting with a, with a small business entrepreneur. Yeah. And their business is also based around experiences very similar to us. So mm. something we still do is small scale, um, floral workshops. We still do, um, on a very limited basis. And this business very similarly, you can go in and learn how to do this marbling yourself. So let's say you just picked out your wedding colors or uh, it's your high school graduation and you're going to have a, a flower lay made. You could have it made with your school colors or you could do it yourself um, at their business and have that incredible experience of going with a family member mm-hmm. solo, however you like, and learning how to do this marbling. So then you've done some pop-up, pop-up events with them as well, where the flowers are available on what on certain days and people can make you know, kind of combine the ribbon with the, with the flowers? Yeah. So we use it as a value added opportunity. So we have a big, huge flower display out in front of their shop um, and people walking by on the sidewalks. It's very much like a Victorian seaside town is how I'd kind of describe it. Anybody who's seen the movie Practical Magic, it's almost that time of year it was filmed in Coopville. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, But you walk along and you see these beautiful wooden Victorian houses with these tiny little raised porches, sort of like you'd see on the East Coast. And there's a big rack of flowers outside. And that's your thing that says, what is this place? I need to get up. So you walk up the stairs, pick out your flowers. You go into their little shop where you get to see lots of other things they have there. They buy edible flowers from us that they put into bath salts and they put it into candles. And they also sell dried bouquets from us inside as well. Mm. Um, And then when you get to the checkout register, there's the spools of these beautiful raw silk marbled ribbons that you can have as a value added add-on to kind of marry together that Salty Acres big colorful bouquet with the Go Marbly memory. Oh, that's so cool. Very neat. You think you'll continue that? I know this kind of emerged out of COVID, but but it seems like a perfect fit. Yeah, yeah. We're never really one to, um, we always say we're bridge builders, not burners. (laughs) So it's rare for us to really close any door. Once it's there, I feel like you're grandfathered in. We're in it. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. Um, and then local florists, are they trying to buy from you uh, wholesale or is that, um, do you have enough product to supply all the demand that you have? I think we have more products sometimes than we know what to do with because we're still growing a lot. And I wouldn't be telling the whole truth if I said that, oh, we sell out every single week. You know, that would be the Instagram reality versus <laughs> the reality of actual flower farmers in sure. 2020. Yeah. So we have a lot of extra flowers. We would love to be working with florists more. But I think florists this year, especially the ones that we partnered with in the past, are experiencing, you know, a highly diminished demand. And um, so many of them are even cutting from their own gardens, which thank goodness they can, that we live in a climate where that's possible for them to grow, display quality flowers, but Mm -hmm. to our bottom line. And it's hard, but we're all in it together this year. Um, yeah. Well, you're alluding to the fact that in, in the past, I mean, for decades, Whidbey was known as a wedding destination island. When you talked about tourism and all, it, it seems like everybody's waiting for that to come back because it will it will oh, yeah. raise the tide for everybody then. Flower orders for us last year for weddings would have been thousands of dollars. And this year, they're barely a couple hundred. Oh. It wouldn't be common for us to go to farmer's market 
and have people buy buckets to supplement their upcoming wedding that day, even and say, hi, I'm a florist. I need more flowers. I got a bunch of broken stems from a wholesaler. Can I get 10 buckets right now? And we're like, sure. Yeah. Follow me home. I'd love to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're kind of yeah. known as that farm. You could rely on, on the fly that, you know, sure. We'll hop onto the ferry. Cause here in Washington, you know, we take boats to get places. So we have photos of our little green wagon that I'd pull my son in our little radio flyer and um, loaded up with flowers and produce, bringing it over to another seaside community across the ferry. You know, I, I miss those moments, um, but they're going to come back. Yeah. Yeah. Temporary. Yeah. It's all about weathering the storm. And I think practicing agility um, and the ability to just keep changing with it. And we're seeing a lot of flower or even flower growers here folding up their tent and going away. So we feel lucky that we have survived this season and maybe not with growth, but we've sustained. As long as we can sustain, then we're better than a lot. That's a good a good sentiment here as we're approaching fall. <laughs> uh, the temperature has not felt like fall uh, for me. I don't know if, you know, if we've got on the forecast like 14 more days of high 70s, low 80s. So the dahlias will be happy. Um, but what will happen after the first frost? Will you... Will you take a little bit of downtime or do you start selling dried flowers or like, what do you pivot to? A great question. We have dry, we, we dry as much as we can. We didn't dry enough this year. I feel like for what the market is asking for, um, frost comes and it's, it's kind of, it's bittersweet because everything dies, but then it's also like, Oh yes, finally. So everything will get cut off, cleaned up. And yes, we will, we will take a break. So that's where we kind of get to take a break. A lot of planning goes in. I'm already spending multiple hours searching seeds and plants and things for next year because I'm worried about shortages of those yeah. kind of things. So Kim, you were making some beautiful like uh, dried posies um, that you're, are those already pre-sold or are they just going to be for winter inventory? They'll just be winter inventory. They're charming. Um, it was kind of an experiment. I love to follow uh, European flower trends and styles. And some of the things coming out of the Czech Republic and Russia are these tight, tight, really amazing little mini bouquets. And I just adapted that to putting those in flowers that will dry. And so they're hanging with our dried flowers. And yeah, we'll wrap them with silk ribbons and they'll go into... They'll go into gift shops and stuff around here and sell definitely if long as we can keep them long enough to get them yeah. through. Which I think also speaks to a lot of the trends that we're seeing coming out of the lovely little flower shops in Japan that focus on dried goods as well. You know, we do a lot of looking to the globe for inspiration for what do we have that's not in our backyard. Definitely. Oh, cool. Um, I know that Tonley, you have, you mentioned that your background is corporate philanthropy and you have a wonderful philanthropic project that you're um, contributing a lot of your hours to. Can we just talk about that before we wrap up? Yeah, no, thank you so much. This is a great surprise for you to even ask about it. So the organization is called Growing Veterans um, and we've been around since 2012. We were founded by a combat wounded U.S. Marine um, veteran. And he was suggested by a healthcare provider that maybe he should consider um, looking to the earth and looking to growing as an opportunity for healing. Through that, he collaborated with another healthcare provider and ended up actually starting Growing Veterans. 
He found a lot of relief in growing things. I think the thing that always stuck with me when I first started working with them, I've been working with them for about five years now. Um, sometimes too much. <laughs> oh, I had no idea it was that long. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's a bit of a passion project, but um, they, I think when I first went there, one of their other volunteers, a Vietnam era veteran, he told me, he said, you know, the military teaches you how to take life and put it in the ground. And I was just like, in that moment, I was ready to cry. It was so powerful. And he's like, but coming here, they taught me how to make life. And I was like, oh my God. What an analogy. (laughs) I'm with you guys forever. (laughs) Um, So what we do is we provide critical outreach to veterans who are facing isolation Um, through peer support. We have an accredited program that people can complete, um, whether you just want to be a veteran ally, or even if you're not affiliated to veterans, it's useful for anybody. Um, and we, we're practitioners of that peer support program Mm -hmm. everything that we learned there from our organic farm in Linden, Washington. And now we recently opened up a second farm across from ours on Whidbey Island. Um, so we're out there every day, all of the food that we grow. Um, a lot of people look at us and they say, Oh, it's a charity farm. You know, they grow food for charity. And that's kind of like the emissions out of our tailpipe. Mm -hmm. What I always tell people is, Our product is people. We want veterans who learn how to farm, veterans who learn how to be happy and well-adjusted and no longer feeling isolated. And we happen to grow a lot of produce. So, you know, just, I think in the last three weeks, we've donated about 200 or more pounds of tomatoes alone to our local food bank. And that's the emissions at the tailpipe. What really matters, we're getting veterans out there. and um, Learning, learning farming skills. Absolutely. I love to talk with people about how, diverse the veteran community is. I think a lot of people, when they close their minds or they close their eyes and they picture the word vet, they have a certain person in mind. Um, But really the U.S. military is the largest employer of diversity in the U.S. You know, there is every type of person working in our U.S. military. Mm. And regardless of if you agree with that or not, you know, veterans are often the people who feel the brunt of that the hardest where people kind of pigeonhole them, expect them to be one thing or another. And um, yeah, we're just happy to give them that safe space. And I'm pushing harder every day to get more female vets out there and help spark that passion for flower farming and vegetable farming that I have. It's great. You're, you're growing future farmers and um, people who maybe it's a vocation, maybe it's an avocation, but it's, it's such a talking about the benefits of mental health. I think we can all relate to that. Um, I'll share the details about Growing Veterans because I know you've been doing some fun um, kind of interactive fundraising, virtual fundraising events, and uh, I want to make sure people can check that out. Um, everybody knows a vet and, uh, in their lives, so it's, it's, it's universal what you're doing. Um, ladies, we've had such a great time. Uh, I'd love that we had a practice session, and this is the real interview. <laughs> <laughs> Kim, what do you, uh, you've talked about you're already looking, searching for seeds and, and that you think that it's going to be a critical year for um, making sure you get your orders in early. What, uh, what new thing are you going to grow in 2021? I think I'm looking at a lot more fillers because the fillers are what make the, like dahlias are the, the prima donna in there, but the fillers are what make it. It's that the beautiful thing that sets it all off. So I realized this year we did not grow enough fillers and I want more interesting fillers. I want more interesting grasses. I want to expand my horizons on that because the ones that I did do this year just amazed me. Wow. 
Yeah. So definitely more of that. Wow. And herbs and um, interesting green things. I mean, they might not be grass or uh, foliage, but they kind of play that role in a bouquet. Like I saw you had some bupleurum that looked really interesting. Um, I think that's what it was in your fields. Um, the one that we really did this year, we'd not done before that I just loved and couldn't get enough of is Bee's Friend. Oh, that's the one. Yeah. I didn't even know that name. Loved, absolutely loved it. And it was gifted to us by Florette, a little yeah. package of seeds. And I'm not even sure that I know what the Latin name is. It starts with an it. S. I can't yeah. remember. Uh, we'll but look it, it up. We'll look it up. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's one that's used a lot of times in fields as a uh, pollinator. Mm. So. Well, that's you're organic. So that's awesome. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much for talking with me and bringing your story um, of optimism, despite what a crummy year it's been, to our listeners. <laughs> I took some photos, but maybe you can... can sh- I know Tonley has also shared some photos with me, but let's see if we can um, put a little gallery together in our show notes at deborahprinzing.com. And thank you so much for this beautiful conversation. It's just meant a lot to me. You're welcome anytime. Yes, we hope to host you again, you know, in the new, new world. Alrighty, sounds great. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining me today for my conversation with Kim and Tonnelly. My head is spinning when I think about their energy and their passion and how they seem to create entrepreneurial opportunities out of thin air. I hope thanks to the time you spent with this episode, your head is equally overflowing with new ideas. The thread of community is woven through all that this dynamic mom and daughter team are doing, along with Paul, who is equally involved in the operations of Salty Acres. Check out some of Salty Acres collaborators and flower outlets, which we discussed in the episode. I'll share their links in the show notes. They include Three Sisters Market, Captain Whidbey Inn, Cove Coffee, Go Marbly, and Growing Veterans. The equation seems to begin with flowers plus fill in the blank equals a win-win for everyone. It's truly the Slow Flowers ethos. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Mayash Wholesale Florist. Family owned since 1978, Mayash is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S. and we're thrilled to partner with Mayash to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms, large and small, around the U.S. Learn more at mayash.com. Now more than ever, your Slow Flowers membership gives you an important story to share with your community and your customers. Our monthly Slow Flowers member virtual meetup is coming right up this Friday, the 11th of September on Zoom, and you're invited to join us. I'm excited that we'll enjoy some seasonal design inspiration with special guest TJ McGrath. TJ is the lead designer and content creator for Blue Jasmine Floral Studio, a Slow Flowers member studio led by Paulina Nowaki in Berkeley Heights, New Jersey. All summer long, I've been enchanted by the floral designs that TJ posts on his personal Instagram feed at TJ McGrath Design. I asked him to demonstrate one of his signature foam-free arrangements and talk about his philosophy and style with our attendees this Friday. So you're invited to join us. Bring your insights and ideas to the community, and I'll share the link for that meetup in today's show notes. We'll be meeting at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on the 11th of September. 
And like all of our member meetups, we'll have some giveaways to sweeten the deal if you attend. This show has been downloaded more than 639,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. Our final sponsor thanks goes to The Gardener's Workshop, which offers a full curriculum of online education for flower farmers and farmer florists. Online education is more important this year than ever, and you'll want to check out the course offerings at thegardenersworkshop.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Thank you.